he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. This day is Pentecost Sunday, and normally on this Sunday I preach from Acts chapter 2, which um, we read from today. And uh, so it's become a passage that I think we've become fairly familiar with and know it is the story of the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit. And our testimony is that God's Holy Spirit continues to work in the church today, equipping and preparing us to speak truth into the lives of every nation, of every culture, of every group of people. And this is what he does. And uh, today, though, I want to share another passage of scriptures from the Old Testament. Uh, well before Pentecost, but, a, but a, t- a passage of Scripture that still testifies about the work of and the Spirit of God, and one of the th- uh, that is moving to help them out. One of the reasons for this passage of Scripture is a passage of Scripture that also directs us and shows us how one of the kings of Judah prays and speaks with God. For we have been over the last, um, or since Easter, we have been uh, praying together, and praying for this day and praying for God's Holy Spirit to move. And in this passage of Scripture, we find that God is moving in the regular concerns of their day, in the regular um, uh, struggles that they are facing as a nation. And so for us today, my hope is that we remember that the call to prayer is a call to prayer during the ordinary moments and times of our life. And, that, and through all of those struggles that go with it. That a praying for uh, God's Holy Spirit to move is not just searching for those big, grandiose moments where it seems like it's as clear as rushing wind or it's as clear as tongues of fire, but also in the regular struggles that we can find that our prayers to God can be answered. And also in this passage, we're going to spend some time looking at how uh, the king here prays And to remind us, perhaps, that when we pray, that there may be some takeaways from that to help us in our prayer life as well. I I remember as a pastor, I've had people ask me, Pastor, can you, uh, uh, you know, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what it's supposed to look like. That's the biggest question I've had whenever I've done premarital counseling. I've asked the couple to pray together as a part of that in preparation for their marriage. They go, we don't know how to do that. I don't know what that looks like. Most awkward moment for me was when a guy in my church said, Hey, Pastor, will you listen to my prayer and tell me if it's good enough? I was like, Wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> like, that's just, that's just, I don't want to do that at all. And he says, just, No, but I really want you to. That was the most awkward moment uh, because our prayers are our own. But yet, nonetheless, I found that sometimes we just want to know, like, how am I supposed to pray? Is this... Am I even, if I, am I doing anything remotely correct? And I, I think there's at least some kind of takeaways from even the method of prayer from King Jehoshaphat in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. And so we're going to read his story, Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, verses 1 to 30. It's quite a story. Um, and uh, so after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. Already they're at uh, Hazazon Tamar, that is, and Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid. So he set himself 
to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the towns of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord and before the new court and said, O Lord God of our ancestors, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? In your hand are power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? They've lived in it and in it have built you a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and save. See now the the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, whom they avoided and did not destroy. They reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession that you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment upon them? For we're powerless against this great multitude that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the middle of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed at this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them, and they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley before the wilderness of Jeruel. This battle is not for you to fight. Take your position, stand still, And see the victory of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kodahites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning, went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets. When he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy splendor as they went before the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites, Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the Ammonites and Moab attacked the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them utterly. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came to the watchtower of the, of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude... And they were corpses lying on the ground. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take the booty from them, they found livestock in great numbers, goods, clothing, and precious things which they took for themselves 
until they could carry no more, and they spent three days taking the booty because of its abundance. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, that place has been called the valley of Barakah to this day. Then all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat at their head, returned to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had enabled them to rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord, and the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for this his God gave them rest all around. If you opened your Bibles, I don't know if you read, you probably just read on the screen, but if you had your Bibles, you might want to keep your thumb there. I'll kind of go back to some verses to help us remember it. It was, it was a large story. But this story uh, takes place with King Jehoshaphat, the fourth king of Judah. This is right around 850 B.C. This is the early time of the kingdom of God. And the context of this passage tells us that God's people is divided. Earlier in Chronicles, we we find that there's Israel, a nation to the north, that's been in conflict with Judah. Judah, who is the country that King Jehoshaphat, the good King Jehoshaphat, is reigning over. And there had been conflict between them. Unfaithful Israel, under the leadership of King Ahab, a wicked king, and his wife Jezebel, a name we've probably heard before, right? They occupy the north, and they have been at odds with Judah all this time. They have been uh, on the verge of fighting. But when that ends, it seems like they have a breath of fresh air. It seems for a moment, okay, our big hurdle is over. But sometimes it seems just when we've gotten over one big hurdle, there's still more bumps in the road. There's still more things that get in the way. And that's exactly what is happening here with King Jehoshaphat and the Judeans. Just as it seems like, okay, the wicked kingdom of Israel is not fighting against us anymore, now we have to deal with these other groups of people. The Ammonites, uh, uh, the, the Midianites, and the people from Mount Seir. And now they're coming against them, and they're warned by their messengers. They are bringing up an army from across the Dead Sea, and they're going to come, and they are going to try to take us over. And they're nervous, and they're worried about this. And this is where we are at this story, where the king is now saying, what is going to happen? We just overcame one obstacle, and now there's more. And what happens next? It says here in verse 3 that he sets himself to seek the Lord. That, that even in, in, in these kind of moments when we recognize, uh, I don't know what happens next, he says, I'm going to call the people together for a time of prayer. And so they have said, hey, there's a vast army. But in verse 3, Jehoshaphat resolves to inquire to seek of the Lord. And he proclaims a fast. And so fasting is a part of that, that uh, aspect of praying, of saying, I'm going to withhold to spend more time in prayer and just ask that the Lord would, would move and intercede on our behalf. And the king is so alarmed that not only does he return to, uh, turn to prayer, he, he's proclaiming a whole fast for the nation. The people are coming together to, uh, to, to, to absolutely inquire of God for all of their needs. This is a huge call on their behalf. And so the king is going to set up and ask for, for all the cities to be praying. He's going to set up the Levites. He's going to set up... Um, he, uh, he's going to send messengers out and get everyone on the same page. <coughs> 
excuse me. And, and so in the same way, we have over the last 40 days been asking and indeed praying for God's Holy Spirit to overcome the hurdles and the bumps in our life as well. That indeed we would find that we might come together and see that the Lord would fight the battles for us. And so Jehoshaphat is resolved to pray, and there's this mass army coming forward, and there's this devastating news, but Jehoshaphat knows that by going to prayer, something else can happen in the midst of that. And turning to God, we start relying on hope rather than on fear. Because when we make decisions that are based off of fear, and we live in moment of fear, we could run around doing all kinds of things, but in our fear, we, are so, we, we tend to get so wrapped up in self-preservation because that's the nature of fear, that we don't know who we're going to hurt next, or we don't know who we're going to stomp on next in terms of uh, trying, to get a resol- uh, trying to resolve things. I mean, that is the big danger, right? If there's like a fire in a theater or something like that. Why you can't even say the word fire in a theater is because everyone will get afraid and in their fear they will stomp on and hurt those around them in anticipation of trying to get out. When we live in fear, we're no longer able to exercise God's purpose for us. We're no longer able to find out and situate ourselves in a way in the hardships that we might look for and seek a better outcome. But prayer pauses us. And I think it situates us in hope. It allows us to say, but there is a God who despite what is happening has a plan and a purpose and I might be able to be a part of that and live in the midst of that, whatever that might look like. And for them, this is even in the face of certain death. And so I I just found myself singing the last hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And of course, I know the passage I'm preaching on, right? So I have all these images. But like that last verse that we just sang, in a mighty fortress is our God, that, uh, you know, goods and kindred go, my mortal life also. Like, you, you sing that and you're going, wait a minute, what? You're giving up everything? Everything you have? Your family? Your own life? Uh, and trust and sure hope of what God is going to do? But in Second Chronicles 20... They're convinced that all that's going to be given up to the invading armies anyway. And so they turn it over to God in trust and sure hope that He is going to be able to see them through this. And so then we come to King Jehoshaphat's prayer. And one of the things he starts off with his prayer, if I, if I can kind of dissect a little bit, kind of look at it with you, I found myself looking at some of the, some of the features of this prayer and found myself saying, in some ways this, this can be a part of our prayer life as well. Uh, From the beginning, he talks to us about the character of God. In verse 6, he says, Lord, you are the God of our ancestors. He says, uh, are you not the God God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? In your hand are power and might, so that no one's able to withstand you. He celebrates and praises God for who God is. And this is strengthening his faith by situating himself in the character of God. He is praying and testifying about who God is. And a prayer that does that helps us remember that our God is bigger than our problems. We do this every week when we pray the Lord's Prayer, except for last week because I forgot. But every week when we pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, yeah, I learned after the service that I forgot. But uh, we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, or who is, we use the 
out of habit, we use uh, the, the, the King James English. Our Father who is in heaven, holy, hallowed be your name. And so we are declaring right away the character of God and who he is. I, I had a district superintendent in the first church I served on the Northwest Illinois District. And he had gotten into a prayer practice, and he shared this with us at uh, every assembly, at every pastor's and spouse retreat, at every gathering that we would have. He would say, I've gotten in the habit of praising God by his names, and he goes through the alphabet. And I, just, I, and now, I had never prayed or thought this way, and uh, I'm like, well, this is just unusual. Well, okay. And so like one day, he would start with like the letter A, and he'd be like, Almighty. And he and he just like say all the words and all the descriptors of God with those letters, and then in B and C and D, and he just like go through them. And I think on some of the you know the odd letters, he grouped them together, so you know, like Q would go with R kind of thing. But like he would, but he would use all the descriptors that the scriptures use for God, and he just pray those as praises to God. And he found for him that just helped him focus on and think of in those moments about the character of God. And, and, and I think that's a fine practice. It's not something that has to happen. It's not, not like the model of prayer or something. But, but it was a way of him saying, I want to focus on the character of God. I want to focus in these moments and, and be reminded about what God has done and who God is. And when our prayer life does that, it helps us for a moment to pause whatever fears or concerns we have. We know who we're bringing them to. In verses 7 and 8... He, he continues on by talking about God's faithfulness, remembering what God has done. So he says things like, Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land? They've lived in it and they've built a sanctuary for your name. But if disaster comes, sword, pestilence, famine, we'll stand before you. And so he's saying, Hey God, you have delivered us and you've made a promise to Abraham. He calls him his friend. That, uh, this covenant partner that you made with Abraham, you have been faithful in your track record. That, that we would remember in our prayers where God has answered before so that we would be reminded indeed that the God we turn to when things seem darkest is the God who will still be with us. And he lays out his request. He says, if calamity comes upon us, and that's what he's worried about with the incoming army, if it's the sword, if it's plague, if it's famine, whatever it is, we're going to cry out to you and you're going to save us. And it is okay and it is right for us to lay out our requests. That our requests that we can indeed in our prayer say, Lord, I need you in this moment. I need you for what has come in the way. I need you for this barrier. I need you to bring down this wall. I need you today. And so, his, so he is absolutely concerned about this army, and he brings that before the Lord, having already testified to the character of God and, what, and, and, and situate himself in believing what God has done before, and that our God is not just the God of the past, and our God is not just something we talk about about some distant, unknown future, but he's a God for today whose spirit still breaks into the world today to work into our life. But he does something kind of odd, too, in this passage of Scripture. When I read it, I just couldn't help but think in this prayer that um, he did something that I wouldn't think of as a kind of normal model for prayer. Seemed for a moment here he was blaming God. And I, I, I want to share this with you in verse 10. He says, See now the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade. 
when they came from the land of Egypt, and so they avoided and did not destroy them? Well, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession. <laughs> it's like, we could have gotten rid of them. We could have killed them. We could have taken care of them. Boom, over and done with. But now they're coming against us. It sounds to me in this prayer, they say, God, why didn't you just let us take care of them in the first place? And I found myself thinking, you know what? There are times in our life when we're going to go to God and we're going to say, God, I don't know. I thought I was living in your will. I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to do. But now it seems like something has come back to bite me. And I don't understand why things have happened this way because I thought we were following the way you called us to follow. But now, God, here it is. You know, I was being faithful and everything's just falling apart. And what I want to say to that is God's big enough for us to pray like that. God is big enough for us to say, God, I don't know what's happening here. I, I can't see the full picture. I don't know what your plan was. I thought I was being faithful, and uh, it seems like you know, it just hasn't yielded the results. It would have In fact, it seems like it's yielding the opposite results. What now? I just want to say to that, if, if you've ever had that moment and then felt guilty about it, if you've ever had that moment and then thought, man, am I a terrible for person for praying that way? I want to say, hey, there's at least the biblical prayer <laughs> with that prayer. And God is big enough for that. And, and God can act and answer and respond even in those moments where we say, okay, God, I thought I was being faithful here, but things haven't worked out the way that I thought they would. And that's okay. God is not a petty God. Our Lord is not someone who gets offended when we ask questions or gets upset when we say, God, I don't know. I don't know. It just, it just didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. Our God is able still to work in the midst of our questions and our concerns. But the king ends praying with humility in verse 12. He says in verse 12, uh, uh, Or God, will you not execute judgment? For we were powerless against this great multitude. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God, I don't know what's happening, but still I trust that you will help in the midst of this next hurdle. He says, God, we can't do this alone. I still need you. Our eyes, our focus is on you. In this moment, the king captures the very heart of our reliance on God. The circumstances of life can be so overwhelming that we can exhaust all of our resources. We can exhaust everything that we've known to do and just say, okay, but I've come up empty. What do we do then? And this king says, Lord, my eyes are still on you. I'm still going to trust and believe that you will work through this. And so he gathers his family together. And all of Judah gather their family together. Their wives, their children, their little ones are standing before the Lord. And it's a beautiful scene where they say, hey, I'm not in this by myself. I need everyone praying along with me. And so the families are praying together again. And they are gathering together. It, it, it's, it's, it's all of us together saying, hey, we are in this. It's not just me praying for my need. It's me saying, I need to bring prayer partners in on this. Family members. Church family, let us remember that we are always able to join in prayer together and lift one another up. And when we need help and when the doubts are strongest, to be able to say, I know that there are faithful brothers and sisters within my church who will lift this up in prayer with me. As a New Testament Christians, as people who are living 
after the resurrection, we can't, I think, uh, help but notice in these moments that it's a foreshadowing of when God's people are asked to wait. Just as they find themselves waiting and praying and seeing what God's going to do. And God says, hey, just you wait up on this ledge. You're going to see what's going to happen. So also, after the resurrection, the disciples of Jesus are told to wait and just to pray. And they wait for the Holy Spirit to come because God is going to send them out into the world after the Holy Spirit is breathed upon the church. And it is that day that we celebrate today. It is the day of Pentecost when the way when they wait and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. And they see that God does something that they could not even imagine would happen. He he equips them to speak the good news in the languages of all the peoples. And in this case, in this story, they find themselves against an unbeatable army, but yet the Lord overtakes them and doesn't even use the people of Judah to do it. It's an amazing story, a, a crazy story about what happens next. And so, so he says, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged of this vast army. The battle's not yours, it is God's. Just stand firm and God will bring deliverance. And so then they bow their head. They All of them are going to, before the ground, uh, just yielding themselves before the Lord, trusting that He is going to deliver them. And, and something amazing happens. In verse 22, what we find happens here is as they are singing and praising the Lord, instead of going forth with, uh, with soldiers, they're going forth with, with a worship team. They're, they are, they're just honoring the Lord and worshiping Him. And what happens is it says the Lord sets the ambush. So you have three different military groups coming in to fight the, the Israelites, but somehow, some way, they get confused and they lay upon each other and they destroy each other. And the armies that were going to come against God's people end up defeating themselves. It is crazy that something like this would work. It is crazy that they did not have to yield to and succumb to the classic trappings of violence that the rest of the world around them was doing, and yet God overtook the army that was coming against them. And I just want to suggest today that in our prayer life, as we continue on in the days after Pentecost, whatever comes our way, that I think sometimes what happens is we think, well, I'm praying about this, but it seems to me that the only way to overcome or to defeat X, Y, Z or to accomplish X, Y, or Z is to do things the way everyone else does things. To try to get away with or cut corners here or to upcharge there or whatever the case is. But I think sometimes we might be surprised that God will indeed provide and be with us when we are faithful bring ourselves before Him and trust in Him with what comes against us. In this moment, they are looking at what has happened and they are in the valley. They are in the valley of Barakah, which means praise. And usually when we think of Pentecost, when we think of movements of the Holy Spirit, when we think of what God is doing, we think of those as mountaintop experiences. We think of those as uh, these, are, these are high moments, praise moments. But even if um, they're getting the loot from their enemies, they're not salvaging from their family members, although you go back in history and there is distant cousins among them.
they are in the valley, and yet God moves in the valley. And indeed is able to turn valley moments into moments of praise. This Pentecost Sunday is a way for us to remember that the Holy Spirit is still working in our lives and is still with us perhaps even in valleys. And we can praise God and put ourselves in a place of trust and hope of what He is going to do. To wait on His moments and to participate in His work. That we can indeed still lift up our praise to God and we might be surprised how if we continue to commit to putting our lives before Him in prayer that the Holy Spirit might surprise us by what the Holy Spirit is able to do in our lives. And that if we take a lesson from Jehoshaphat, perhaps it would be that whatever our prayers look like, and indeed, I want to say there is no formula, true formula for praise but, or, or for prayer, but in, in our prayers, if we remember to lift up God for who He is, if we might remember to lift up God for what He's done and what He's going to do, and just put ourselves in a place of trust and hope, of what our Heavenly Father is doing, that we might be surprised by how His Spirit still descends today into the valleys and the hurdles of life and brings us to a place of praise and a place of triumph. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. Our website also includes instructions for subscribing to our podcast so you can have a message delivered to you weekly. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.